Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Welcome to Daily Daf Differently. I'm David Greenstein, and we're studying page 39, Lametet, Masechet Beitzah, Tractate Beitzah. The discussion continues from previous pages regarding the use on Yom Tov, on a, on a holiday, of materials, animals, utensils, stuff that uh, may have common ownership or multiple sources of ownership. And when someone owns an object on Yom Tov, the enjoyment of that object is limited spatially by the sages so that one may not leave the inhabited area in which one lives uh, beyond the distance of 3,000 feet, 2,000 cubits. Uh, That's the tchum, that's the encircled area that is set aside for enjoyment of the Yom Tov, as in Shabbat. So, if I have an object that would be spatially limited uh, to a certain area, but somebody else wants to use that object and take it somewhere else, they are subject to my spatial limitation. What if an object has two sources or more of ownership, and each of the owners has a different spatial parameter in which they're able to operate? How do we adjust for that? And the examples that our discussion on page 39 offers is are examples that are quite intriguing. The first opinion that is discussed in our page is rejected, but nevertheless, it's of some interest. Rabbi Yehuda says that if one person owns the water and another person owns the flour that goes into making some dough or some bread, then the water itself is not considered at all in our calculation about what is the spatial area in which the bread can be taken. The water is annulled within the the dough and within the food. So the nature of the water itself is that it should be absorbed and taken over by the other materials. In the end, we don't accept that opinion, but it brings up the whole question of these kinds of materials Uh, natural stuff that doesn't quite have the same kind of tangibility that uh, an identifiable creature or a tool or an instrument or an object has. So the next Mishnah brings up the, the intriguing question of a coal and its flame. And it makes a distinction. It says that the coal, the burning coal, If it belongs to someone, that burning coal cannot be transferred outside of the area uh, in which that particular owner is limited. So the coal itself can be given to somebody else to uh, uh, use for cooking, but only within the prescribed limits of the original owner's area of uh, Yom Tov enjoyment. What about the flame? So the Mishnah says that the flame itself can go anywhere. 
The distinction between the flame and the coal is a distinction which we can certainly make linguistically, but it's a little difficult to think about that distinction in practical terms. We should understand, though, that this image is an image which hits us in a very, very primal way. Watching a fire, watching a flame, is something that human beings have uh, enjoyed doing since time immemorial. And the mystery of this dancing flame, is it a material object? Can you hold on to it? Does it have substance? What is it actually attached to? It is something that people have pondered and wondered about uh, over the millennia. This becomes a, an important image, for instance, in Jewish esoteric mystical thinking. The ancient book Sefer Yitzirah, the book of creation or formation, it's not clear when exactly it was uh, finished and edited. It may go all the way back to the time of the Mishnah. Certainly it overlaps the time of the Talmud and discusses primal building blocks of creation. And in its first chapter, it has one teaching where it says there are ten sfirot of nothingness, ten realms of nothingness, building blocks of creation. Their end is embedded in their beginning, their beginning in their end, like a flame in a burning coal. For the master is singular, he has no second, and before one, what can you count? So in this sense, the image of the flame and the coal serves as an image of the relationship between physical reality and the spiritual reality that burns beyond it. In the mystical classic, the Zohar, the uh, practice is mentioned of gazing into a coal and its flame in order to ponder this mystery itself. The Talmud entertains the possibility that one may be able to carry the flame itself without the coal. It's not clear how that exactly is done, but that is permissible while carrying the coal on Shabbat, for instance, would not be permissible. Another example of a natural phenomenon which the Talmud discusses is the question of drawing water from various sources. If a person has a private well and one draws water from the well, then that well belongs to that uh, individual and the water itself is limited in its availability on Yom Tov to the spatial area that is applicable to the owner. The question then becomes, what about communal wells? What about the wells of Shel Ole Bavel, which were public works water sources? Who do they belong to? And who can use the water there? The Mishnah tells us Anybody who fills up their bucket from a public uh, water source, they can use it in any direction that they wish to go. However, if somebody would then want to take that bucket from them and take it to their place, they would be limited again to following the uh, uh, parameters of the first person who drew the water. The Talmud then says, what about not a private well, 
and not a constructed public water source, but what about flowing rivers? And the answer that the uh, Talmud gives there is that with flowing rivers, they go anywhere. Rashi explains the distinction. Rashi says that when water flows, the natural force is an untrammeled force. No one can claim ownership of this water source, and therefore, when I draw waters from a continuously flowing source of water, I am simply participating in the uh, continuing travel of that water, and should somebody else now want to take the bucket from me, they could take it wherever they go. That's the distinction between taking the water from this source and taking the water from a publicly constructed well. In the publicly constructed well, the first person who takes the water has established the settled place, niat shvita, for that water. But in the case of naturally flowing water like a river, it can never be stopped. It can never be settled in one place. And therefore, anybody who takes the bucket can continue to on and hand it on to the next person and the next person to the next person. In that way, we, as it were, participate in the continuing flow of that natural stream. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.